Life Happens Weekdays 1 to 3 p.m. Welcome back uh, to the second hour of uh, Life Happens on SAFM 104 to 107 nationwide. We are on uh, the number 0891104207 if you want to join the conversation as we lead the conversation. We're also on SMS on 41391 and that SMS costs you around 50. We're on the WhatsApp line 0614104107 and you are listening to us on 104 to 107 nationwide on the DSTV audio bouquet channel number 8. One four. You can talk to us via Twitter. We are on at SAFM Radio, hashtag SAFM Live Happens, or you can tweet me on at KG Mwekezi. So, seven minutes past two, it is now. So, uh, with about 70% of global capacity really lit- literally idled, the airline industry stands to lose 314 billion dollars in tickle in ticket sales this year alone according to international air transport association some members um, of the industry are already calling for a return to the air but if we were to return how would f- the flying experience be uh, during covid-19 because we've established a lot of people have established that uh, the possibility exists that um you know, the virus uh, is going to stay with us for at least a year or two years until a vaccine is found. So we want to have a conversation with the chief marketing officer at Fly Safe about what that would mean. Because here's what we know. We know we constantly have to wash our hands. We know we have to socially distance. And we know if we're forced to be in the company of others, they should at least be a meter away from us. Can we Gordon is the Chief Marketing Officer at uh, SAF Air. Kebby, good afternoon. Thank you so much for your time. What would it look like? Would it be new fees, uh, different type of snacks, uh, no middle seats? You know, if one were to uh, fly domestically, for example, in South Africa, if a domestic travel were to resume in the country, what it would mean for me to fly from Joburg to Cape Town? What it, would it look like now? Hi, Kumbhata, to you and to the listeners, and good afternoon. Yeah, I think we are going to see quite a market change in um, in our flying habits. I mean, if one casts one's thoughts back to, you know, the 9-11 disasters, for example, I mean, we're coming up on the 20th anniversary of those tragic events, and that, the, those particular events, you know, remarkably changed the face of aviation and of the experience of flying. Um, in very meaningful ways. There are a number of rules and regulations that were put in place as regards security at airports that are still with us today. And we suspect that we're going to see a lot of the same come out of the uh, the pandemic and, and sort of lasting effects and lasting traveler habits that are likely to be with us for quite some time. So the experience is definitely going to, to change somewhat. I mean, I think we're going to see a lot more, you know, in, in the long term, a lot more health consciousness. So, for example, the wearing of masks is something that's actually been relatively commonplace in a lot of Asian countries, both because of um, sort of customary etiquette, but also um, as a result of the outbreaks of things like MERS and SARS, which were much more prevalent in those areas back in, uh, you know, when when those pandemics took place. Um, but, you know, that might be something that's now a lot more commonplace, even on domestic travel, certainly here in South Africa, as people become more conscious of their health 
and they're um, and seeking to sort of prevent that. Yeah, but you are not saying much to me about the issue of the social distancing because the one thing that's close if you're flying economy, uh, like most of us tend to fly economy, is that, you know, the passenger next to you is pretty close, uh, definitely under one meter. So if the social distancing rule or social distancing seating will be done, how will it work? Would it mean that you fly a whole aircraft at perhaps half the number of passengers that uh, you're used to having? Right. I mean, this is a particularly interesting conversation, actually, and a very interesting topic. Um, IATA, who you referenced earlier, have done a bit of research with regard to this, and their research has indicated that there's very little difference in terms of your safety when it comes to sitting six centimeters away from the person next to you, or 60, as the case might be, if you have the seat between you open. Mm. Now, it's quite a bizarre thing because... We have been taught and it's been advised to us so often that we need to maintain our social distancing a meter, a meter and a half, two meters, depending on who's talking to you about it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I must be honest, from a psychological perspective myself, even, you know, the idea of sitting next to a person almost shoulder to shoulder is, is sort of harrowing. Having been I don't in, want anybody in next to me. For seven, for seven weeks now, yeah, it's quite a bizarre thought. Mm. But the reality is what I also have come to discover is that given the circumstances of an aircraft and flying, what's actually far more beneficial is layering other methods mm-hmm. of, of protection on. So masks, for example, are absolutely imperative and need to be worn the entire way through the flight. The marginal increase in protection that you get by virtue of having the seat between you and the person next to you open doesn't actually justify the means because what would happen is if legislation does come in place that enforces that middle seats across the board mm-hmm. are left open, what's going to happen is that our viable cost per seat is going to go up or our cost per viable seat is going to go up exponentially, which will mean that flying is going to become very expensive mm-hmm. and, of course, mean that it won't be open to so many people. Mm-hmm. So what we at FlySafe have done is, is we've actually taken a dual approach to the matter. We, we believe that, um, you know, that it, that it is safe for people to, to sit next to one another on an aircraft, provided that all of the other measures, and there are several which we can chat about, are taken, specifically the, what we call the physical distancing, which is obviously the mask, which will be a requirement, a mandatory requirement on all flights, and we will be providing masks if people don't have their own for that particular purpose. Yeah. So, so that's the one thing that's in place. Policy-wise, we're going to ensure that we fill up the window in the aisle seats first, um, and fill up the middle seat last. So that will be a policy. But we've also provided the additional facility that passengers who wish to do so can book out that middle seat. So that would be more for a peace of mind perspective for an individual. But of course, we are asking a fee for that so that we can justify the, the blocking out of that viable seat. So if, so if I to, book, sorry to interrupt you, but no, if, I, if, I, if I take that option, it would mean what in terms of fee structuring, what would that mean? Would that mean I'm paying for the other two seats that are, are on either side of where I'm sitting? No, so you would take, you would select either a window or an aisle seat and okay. the middle seat would be blocked out. Mm-hmm. That way you've got distance either side of you, either the side of the aircraft and an empty seat or an empty seat in the aisle. But would um, that not mean that you face an economic loss as, uh, as a business? Uh, because that option shouldn't be left up to me, it should be left up to you. That's why we charge for it in order to, to subsidize that economic loss because it would be. You're absolutely right.
I mean, that would that would come at a at a at a 33% loss if you think about it, taking out a third of the seat capacity, which is why there's a fee inherent to to that. So the fee at the moment is 750 rand. So if you want to select a seat, you buy your normal seat at your normal at your normal fee, and then you can pay 750 to ensure that the seat next to you is empty. <laughs> so I buy I pay I pay a thousand five hundred rand for a seat. Let's talk about the small charges, um, uh, b- b- what they call surcharges. If we're staying with the issue. Of 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 uh, fee restructuring, is there a higher amount I should be paying as a customer for insurance, for example? Because there is a, an element of insurance that I pay for when I buy a flight ticket, isn't there? In these COVID nineteen times, are you increasing that number that amount so that I can feel more protected? Right. So there there are two sort of topics that um, in discussion here at the moment. So. There are several regulated fees that are inherent to an air ticket price. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you'll see there are, there's obviously VAT, which we need to pay, which is, you know, for, for anything. Mm. Then there are, there's the Civil Aviation Authority charge. There's a charge for airport security screening. And there's another passenger service charge at the airports. At this stage, we've not been advised by any of the airports or those third parties that we need to increase those fees. Um, but there is a potential. I, I must be honest, I hadn't thought of it before. But given the measures that, that AXA and other parties are taking, in order to make sure that the airport environments are safer, they may look to pass those charges on to customers. Um, we have levied a small additional charge on our side, uh, which is to fund so many of these measures that we are taking, and they and they are pretty extensive. So um, we're we're charging an additional twenty rand per flight, mm. which goes to fund the mask that you get. Mm-hmm. Um, mentioned before, as well as some pretty intensive cleaning um, and sterilization uh, tactics that are being taken along the way. So that includes both a deep clean with electrostatic sprayers in the evening yeah. in order to make sure that we sanitize those aircraft 110%, as well as cleaning measures, including fogging, sp- you know, sprayers between flights to further sanitize the aircraft. So at this stage, the aircraft are going to be virtually akin to operating theaters in terms of being a sterile environment. So the bigger challenge is actually making sure that the people we board don't bring in any contaminants into that environment. Is it a fact, though, that you're bound to stay around uh, similar uh, tariffs in, in terms of, fe- of, of fees? Because you yourself are saying there's extra costs you have to incur. You have to, uh, you know, make sure that I, I, I buy a mask, which uh, is about 20 rand or so extra. You have to make sure that I have um, a sanitizer. But you also have to make sure that uh, you take uh, the temperatures of passengers uh, before they board a flight. Because it's a rule now in South Africa, you can enter any building for example here at the SABC you can't enter uh, without somebody taking uh, your temperature to make sure that uh, you're okay that, 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 that that's a cost uh, what is it going to do uh, COVID-19 particularly for the low airfare space because uh, places like yourselves as FlySafe Air are known as uh, low low airfare space mm. So, so that's actually a really interesting topic. I mean, we, we heard Minister Gordon make a, 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 a declaration during one of the most recent Scopa briefings about how airfares and, and flights are going to become more expensive. And I think that may be true across the board when it comes to international flying, just because of a supply constriction. But the reality is that on the domestic market, we don't anticipate that we're going to see incredibly high flight, uh, flight prices. To be honest, it would be great for our business in terms of the very, very stark recovery realities that we face if we were able to demand high prices. But we don't foresee that being the case. Airline prices are really set by the factors of supply and demand. Mm -hmm. And when 
your supply is plentiful but your demand is low, you're going to see you're going to see lower prices. So mm-hmm. as it stands at the moment, we are expecting a very very soft demand when we start flying. So much so, in fact, that we're actually all intending to fly a, sh- a portion of our schedules in the beginning. Um, we don't believe that there's going to be a big whack and, and a huge demand as soon as we're able to start flying again. So yeah. what that means is that we've got a lot of aircraft standing on the ground. Yeah. And as soon as a route becomes marginally viable again, what will happen is that we'll deploy an additional aircraft onto that route. And that's going to keep prices down for quite some time until we've all got our entire fleets flying again. So I think I suspect for the next while we're actually going to see very reasonable flight prices in, yeah. in, internally as long as we're not mandated to maintain um, those empty seats in the middle. That but, will uh, hike but, the prices. <laughs> that will hike the prices. It will. But does that also mean um, um, uh, business losses? Uh, because, uh, you know, I, I quoted a projection of uh, business losses of about 314 billion rand uh, just in ticket sales alone for the airline, ind- billion dollars, sorry, um, uh, for the airline industry. Because in the end, uh, what you're also fighting against is a solid fear that people have uh, about flying. Uh, you have to probably up your marketing budgets again to say to people, come on, come mm. on, you can start flying with us again. Uh, you know, it, it sounds to me, at least at face value, that it's not going to be a viable business for a while. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the losses are incredibly stark. So you've pointed, you've hit the nail on the head with regard to consumer confidence coming out of this. I think that the, the, the next element to consider in terms of a softer demand is also, of course, the fact that most South Africans, in fact, most people around the world, are having to tighten their belts quite extensively because mm. we've seen so much job loss, we've seen the economy shrinking, and all of those things come together. There's not money to go away on holidays, etc. So, so there, in, you know, of itself is an additional factor that comes into the equation. But we did a little bit of sort of back of the napkin math to try and give a sense to to the public at what these costs are. And as it stands, for every month an aircraft stands on the ground, we forego seven months of profit. Wow. Now, what I mean by that is that there's obviously the month of profit that we forego while it stands there, but we still have to pay leases on those aircraft. Wow. And those are very expensive. So we need to operate that aircraft again in the future for another six months at a good profitable rate mm. in order just to pay off the fees for that aircraft standing on the ground now. So it's going to be a long while yet before yeah. airlines across the world are able to to see anything near uh, a profit. There's also, um, and I, I alluded to this, by the way, uh, in case you just joined us, we're having a conversation uh, with Kirby Gordon uh, from uh, FlySafe Air. He's the chief marketing officer at uh, FlySafe Air. And we're trying to anticipate a time where we can fly again, uh, you know, and what flying again, uh, that experience would be like in a COVID-19 world. Um, we spoke earlier, Kirby, about, you know, um, incurring costs um, in relation to, for example, example, um, uh, the the taking of temperatures uh, for passengers. What I didn't ask you, though, is the fact that uh, taking a, a temperature of a, of a passenger uh, means that some passengers can't get there and their temperatures is high, right? Yes. For example, if I come here, there's ABC and my temperature's high, they're going to say, Homozo, go back home. You can't access this building. I get into my car, I drive back home, it's fine. But for you to have to disembark uh, a passenger 
passenger is a different dynamic. Uh, and what happens? Does that mean uh, the passenger, for example, would forfeit uh, the money that they spent uh, buying that uh, that flight ticket? Uh, how would you would you anticipate it happening? So, so you're absolutely right in terms of obviously the temperature screening is there for a reason. So if a passenger is um, is running a fever, they obviously will not be able to board. I mean, that's, you know, it's pointless doing the screening if we if we can't prevent them from boarding in that regard. Um, to be honest, the, the, the specific minor details are still being worked out. But uh, as we understand that, you know, the airport's company and the entire um, sort of the, uh, infrastructure are coming together in this regard. So there might even be actual temperature screening outside of the airport terminal before you even access it. So you will be screened most certainly before boarding. Um, but chances are you probably would have been screened a few times before then as well. Um, and you will be turned away. You will not forfeit the, the price of your ticket if you are turned away as a result of that. Um, if you are turned away from, from, from sickness, for example, and it's proven, uh, the Consumer Protection Act does actually protect individuals against that. So it will not be a forfeited ticket. It would be something that we would then voucher so that you could use at a later point when you are um, in a healthier state. Yeah. But yes, um, that is certainly something. I think it's quite interesting to perhaps just if I can extend from there, and you'll, mm-hmm. you'll forgive me for this, for sure. but just to kind of try and picture that journey, because I mean, that is something that we're talking about. So, I mean, just to kind of give you a, a, a sort of brief synopsis of what you would experience if you were flying, mm-hmm. um, the, the the idea would be that we would really, really emphasize that passengers need to check in online before even arriving at the airport. Mm-hmm. Uh, we offer a WhatsApp boarding pass, and that's what you really want. That way, there's no paper changing hands between you and other staff at the airport. Mm-hmm. Everything is on your mobile device. Mm-hmm. When you arrive at the airport, you'll obviously be screened before you enter the airport. It'll be a sterile environment. Social distancing will be enforced heavily in any queue. You've got to maintain your 1.5 meter distance between yourself and anybody else. When it comes to any type of scanning of documents, boarding passes as you pass through security, when you present your ID exam, for example, do not pass those documents or those devices on to any individual. Mm-hmm. You will be keeping those on your person and you will be scanning them yourself through those devices, no touch devices. So there's really no need for you as an individual to make contact with any surface in an airport until you get into that aircraft and you have to fasten that seatbelt. Aircraft themselves, as I mentioned before, are going to be deeply sanitized. So mm-hmm. they are literally going to be like operating theaters. And in a similar sense to when doctors or surgeons enter an operating theater, they have to wash their hands, they have mm-hmm. to don their masks, they have to do all those sorts of things. The same is going to be required of passengers boarding an aircraft. Wow. You're going to need to be wearing your mask. You're going to have to sanitize your hands before you enter. And you're going to have to make sure that there's a, a sterile environment within that aircraft. No contact with any of the airports of any of the staff. You're not going to see on fl- uh, in-flight magazines. Those are going to be digitally downloaded onto your device before you go. Those are common surfaces that could be touched by individuals. You're not going to have any in-flight catering. Just basic water will be available wow. because then, again, we'll try and mitigate the, the you know shared surfaces that come through. Mm. Um, and when you arrive and you disembark, you're going to keep your, your mask on. You're going to sanitize your hands as you go out. Obviously, try to keep your mask on. It will be a requirement all throughout the airport terminal. So it's going to be it's going to be a very safe experience, but it is going to be quite a different experience to what we're used to. Wow! So, in your conversations with government, um, as uh, the airline industry, uh, what are you uh, pushing for? What are, what are what are you projecting? What are you saying uh, with all of the scientific information available now? Uh, what are you saying is a practical time, if at all, to return to particularly domestic flying? 
I mean, at this stage, to be honest, we'll be frank. I mean, we are hurting terribly with regard to the fact that we're obviously not able to operate at the moment and that there's no income coming in. But I don't think that anyone in the industry is unreasonable about the fact that, you know, we shouldn't be flying right now. Mm -hmm. There really are two dynamics of danger with regard to aviation um, and the spread of the virus. The one is, of course, you know, the idea of people being in close proximity to one another and actually being able to mitigate spread of the virus from person to person on an aircraft. And that we can really manage. We're happy with that. The other reality is, of course, moving people over large distances very quickly. So as in, in a, for, for the periods that extend right now where there's no interprovincial travel allowed, for example, you know, by all means, we understand and respect the fact that we need to lay back on domestic travel in order mm. to be able to flatten the curve and prevent the spread of the virus, which is absolutely fine. And it's a role that all airlines are willing to play. But what we do need recognition from the state on is the fact that this is a backbone industry. Mm. And I'm not just talking about for an, as an economic enabler for the tourism industry. It's an economic enabler for the South, South Africa's economy at large. Aviation and air connectivity does amazing things to grow economies. And mm. we really need recognition that we're in an incredibly precarious state, given the severe costs that we have to undergo. This is about even talking about our people who are obviously sitting at home without pay. Mm. And we need to ensure that this industry, not just our company, the industry is viable going forward because this is going to create fertile ground for the economy to recover upon. Mm. And so from that, we're looking, we're looking for and we're campaigning for aid from the state. Yes, we are asking for cash, um, which is an incredibly unpopular topic to talk about cash bailouts in the context mm-hmm. of the African government at this stage. Mm-hmm. We can put quantum to that. It's not nearly the amount of money as one would expect uh, as what we've heard in the past in terms of cash bailouts for airlines. Um, but there are other ways that we also would love to, ca- or that we are campaigning for government to help us. And that comes against deferments for taxes and fees that are levied by state-owned enterprises. So, for the example, we pay a lot of money every month for each passenger to institutions which are government-owned, like the Air Traffic Navigation Services, ATNS, like the South African Weather Services, like AXA, Airports Company, like the Civil Aviation Authority, for example. Those are huge, big cost bases for very profitable government entities, which are very liquid. And we believe strongly that we should either get deferments on those payments for now to maintain cash flow and ultimately waivers or some of those fees, because those are viable state entities that could assist in the recovery of our industry. And that wouldn't mean money directly out of the fiscus, which we respect is so desperately needed. Uh, I've got a minute and a half left, Kirby, but Mm, um, in in this entire conversation that we've had, uh, in a way we've forgotten and and, and ignored uh, people. Uh, What has this meant for particularly your staff? Uh, uh, What kinds of changes have you had to effect, if at all, uh, for your staff, because um, you know the 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 the, the COVID nineteen virus has hit uh, very negatively on people, on work, on you know all kinds of spaces in the world. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's honestly been nothing short of devastating. And I mean, we take our hats off to our to our teams every day because they are maintaining such a such positivity in the face of all of this. But it is truly devastating. I mean, our our teams are sitting at home. 
they're not flying, which mm. is, and, and you don't fly, it's a passion. <laughs> you don't do it to make a lot of money, it's a passion. So to be out of the skies for a lot of our, for a lot of our team is, you know, has quite a big emotional quotient to it mm. before one even talks about the kind of financial realities. Yeah. So they are sitting at home, um, you know, they're unpaid at this stage, um, and it's, and it's a very tricky scenario for, for our teams. Um, yeah. as I say, we have maintained incredible positivity. Everyone's very involved. They're talking a lot to management. We've got a fantastic culture. But it's hard. It's, it's very hard. hard. It's hard. We'll leave it there. Thank you for your time and thank you for letting my imagination run wild about what flying uh, in COVID-19 times will look like. Kirby Gordon is uh, Chief Marketing Officer for FlySafe Air.